four days after I joined the show. Something was up. We were really not prepared for what we were about to be told. Ringling was just going to be gone. Clowns have been around for as long as you can remember. Have you ever wondered what kind of person is behind all the makeup? Maybe you've even wondered why on earth someone would want to be a clown. Well, in this podcast, join your hosts, Jeremy Cohen and Lee Andrews, as they take a journey behind the red nose. Hello, gang. Welcome to this edition of Behind the Red Nose. I'm Jeremy, also known as Crispy. And I am Lee, also known as Louie. Today's special guest is Matthew Lish. Matthew is a second-generation clown and world-record-holding juggler. He toured as a member of the world-famous Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Clown Alley during the circus's final farewell tour. While on tour, Matthew performed solo in the center ring during the All Access Extreme pre-show and made dozens of appearances on ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN. He's also been seen on the Food Network at Bell Labs, the Century Club with Dick Cavett, and along the Coney Island Boardwalk. In addition, he's been featured in multiple original off-Broadway productions as a part of his family's comedy variety troupe, and if that's not all, he's also an accomplished prop and puppet designer. Please welcome the one and only Matthew Lish. Yay! Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Jeremy. It's great having you here. Really, it's an honor to have you on the show. And I wanted to get this conversation started with talking about the coronavirus. Obviously not a, a funny subject, but I think a lot of people out there would love to know from you, as someone who's so used to putting on shows in front of large audiences, you know, how has this experience changed you as a performer? Uh, I think it's making us think about new ways that we can deliver entertainment of all kinds to people. So it's really forcing myself and a bunch of colleagues to think outside of the box in terms of, you know, live streaming shows or putting out video content or putting out more podcasts like this, or, you know, being more active on social media and putting out fun videos and fun, fun photos. I think that's been the, uh, the big, the big thing. So, okay, Matthew, let's shift gears for just a second. Um, my first introduction to you was a YouTube video where I'm going to assume it was your dad, your sister, and yourself. Uh, we're getting ready and prepping for a day working in the hospital. So um, can you give us a little bit about your background and um, maybe a little bit about your, your dad's history or why you decided you wanted to be a clown? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, that video was of us going to do clown rounds at uh, Brookdale, at Brookdale Medical Hospital in Brooklyn, New York. That was many, many years ago. Uh, my dad started clowning when he was in college. They were doing a uh, they were doing a fair, and the students had the option of either manning a food booth, running a game, or being a clown. And my dad had always had an interest in magic and sleight of hand, and had a lot of theater in in high school. And so he decided, you know what? Let me try. Let me try this clown thing. So from there, he started performing more, developed his own his own one-man show, which uh, he performed for a lot of schools and nursing homes. It was an educational show. Uh, my dad's a dentist, an educational show to teach kids the importance of dental hygiene through comedy and magic and juggling and all that fun stuff. And uh, as he would perform more and more, I would, I would kind of come around with him and go to the gigs and, and hang out backstage and help set up and help carry things around. And uh, one day I asked if I, could, if I could open up the show and if I could do a little 
a little magic trick beforehand, which which he let me do. It was a very simple, simple handkerchief trick, but that was enough. Um, uh, subsequently, at that same time, there are three like big events that happened very close to each other, which I kind of consider very formative. I went to my first performance of Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus, which was the 131st edition at um, at Madison Square Garden. And my parents tell me that I kind of just sat in the stands and was just totally transfixed on everything that was happening in the uh, in the show and just, you know, didn't move a muscle and was just taking in every possible thing and then would come home and would act out the acts that I saw in the show. Also around that same time, my family, we went out to a uh, we went out to a county fair and there was a juggling show and I came home. Uh, and I picked up a bunch of toys from around the house and tried to juggle. And those three events kind of happening around the same time is kind of what made me be like, all right, I should be a clown. I want to perform. I want to be in the circus. I really like this. I really like the variety arts, all that. And that just kind of developed more and more over time as I got older. My dad and I both went to the New York Goose Ultimate Clown School, which is under the direction of the former dean of Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Clown College, Dick Monday, and his wife, Tiffany Riley, which was a wonderful learning experience and a wonderful uh, place where we developed kind of our characters and improvisation techniques, eventually just put together enough material and just had a lot of material, you know, that we had developed for performing for over a decade that we decided, you know, we should really put together a big show. So we, uh, we did some investigation and we, uh, we got an off-Broadway theater in the heart of New York City's theater district and put together an off-Broadway show and sold it out and did that, uh, did that two for two more years after that, and uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of the, the the quick story of it. So people have said that you are the next generation of clowns. I know as a I don't know if you consider yourself a, a young millennial or an old member of Generation Z, but what do people your age think about what you do and the path that you've chosen? You know, it's the type of thing that takes a little bit of warming up to. Um, on the surface, when people hear that you're a clown, there's automatically an image. And this is not just for, you know, my generation. This is for everyone who's involved in the art form in any form. When someone hears you're a clown, they instantly have an idea of something in their head. Uh, and usually what we are is much more than that. When I was in grade school and middle school and high school, it was... Excuse me. It was um, perceived often at first as very weird and bizarre. And then as people got to know me, uh, it would be viewed as, as, um, as cool and as really, really neat and interesting. Because, you know, on the surface level, it's why is this guy putting on makeup and, uh, you know, and, and wearing these crazy colors and, and falling down all the time. And, and then when you think about it more and they have more exposure to it, it's, oh, this is... This is something that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time and just like playing an instrument or playing a sport or something like that. Uh, now that I'm in my early 20s, it's kind of, I find that people are kind of just like, oh, that's cool. You're a performer. And it kind of gets a level of respect that's similar to any other type of performer uh, because now it's kind of being viewed, in my opinion, as more of a theatrical type thing. You know, oh, so you're a clown, so you're a funny, you're a comedic character. Uh, and it's not viewed as much with a negative connotation. People think it's oftentimes, at this point, really, really interesting and really cool. And it's usually a fun conversation starter. Uh, but I generally have really good positive responses from it. So, okay, 
Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room that is Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Um, Never heard of it. Uh, yeah, right. So I'm sure everyone wants to know about your time on Ringling. And uh, I want to know, what was your selection process like? Did you go to one of the many uh, clown auditions that they had in, in, the, in the respective big cities? So what was, what was your process to the big show like? Oh, boy. That day was probably one of the most stressful days of my entire life. It was, uh, it was 2015. It was at the Worldwide Circus Summit in Springfield, Massachusetts, which this was a first time ever happening, this big circus convention. Kind of, uh, convention is really the best way to describe it, where everyone from every aspect of the circus industry was there. Clowns, circus owners, performers. I mean, we're talking there were roundtables with Paul Binder, the founder of the Big Apple Circus, you know, David Kaiser, a talent scout for Ringling, um, owners of Carson's and Barn Circus, people from Cirque du Soleil, an amazing collection of of uh, performers and uh, talent scouts and creative creative staff behind circuses at this big multi day gathering in Massachusetts. And because it was a circus convention, you had all of these former Ringling clowns there, really really big names in Ringling clown. You had uh, Greg DeSanto, Pat Cashin, um, Dick Monday and Tiffany Riley, Peggy Williams, Ruthie Chaddock, all of these people who are, uh, 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 Priscilla Mooseberger was there, all of these people who, you know, we look up to uh, in the clowning community were going to be at this thing. So the audition was being led by, uh, by Tiffany Riley of the New York Goofs, who I had studied with several years earlier, which was a slightly comforting factor that there was a familiar face doing it. Uh, but she led myself and all the other people who were auditioning to be on the show and auditioning to be clowns through a series of movement exercises and improv exercises and partner exercises to really see, you know, how, how is this person going to do on the arena floor? Are their movements and expressions going to be visible from the top row of the garden? Is that possible? Are they able to work with someone that they've never worked with before? Are they able to think fast in their feet? Are they going to be able to to fulfill the role of a Ringling Brothers Barn and Bailey Circus Clown? So we went through all those group exercises, took about over an hour, uh, and then we took a little break, and then we came back and we did our individual routine presentations, which was the time for you had three minutes and everyone got to present their own little act, gag, whatever you want to call it. So my number was first, which was very nerve-wracking, and... Uh, I got up and I performed my comedy, Needle Through the Balloon, which, spoiler alert, I did get onto the show, and that ended up being my routine that I performed during pre-show. But I performed my Needle Through Balloon routine and uh, got a really, really great reaction. was getting laughs from not only the people in the audience watching, all these clowns and and guests at the event, but also the people on the judging panel, which was a really, really good good sign for me. And uh, they called me up. I went and I sat down at the table. This was in July 2015. I had just graduated from high school, and I had just accepted a big scholarship to go to college to study engineering. So they sat me down at the table, and they, they asked me, so what are you doing this November? And I said, you know, thank you very much. I'm really, really honored and flattered, and this means so much to me. But uh, 
I believe strongly in education and I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go to college right now. And then I would love to, if you guys will have me return to the circus um, once I'm done with my education. And they said to me, we respect that 100%. We really appreciate your commitment. We really like you. Um, we're not going anywhere. Uh -huh. We're not going anywhere. Uh, give us a call in a few years. So I did my first year of, of undergrad in engineering. And uh, I was seeing all these people touring on Facebook. I was seeing videos and was like, man, you know what? I really, I really wish I could go do that right now. So I sent an email to the, to the two deans of my program. And I said, hey, if I had the opportunity to, and they knew I was a performer, if I had the opportunity to go, say, join the circus, would you hold my scholarship? Would you hold my academic spot? Could I go do this for a little bit and I'll be back? And I got an email back within about 15 minutes. Said, yes, 100%. Just make sure that when you come back, you do a show for us. I then sent sent emails and phone messages to literally every single person I knew who worked at Feld Entertainment. <laughs> and it's like, hey, remember me? I want to join the circus now. Uh, and a whole 23 days later, after sending out all those emails, I got a call from, uh, from Ringling's big talent scout asking me if I would join the uh, year three of the 145th edition of The Greatest Show on Earth, Circus Extreme, The Red Show, as a clown. Over the moon excited. Uh, best birthday gift I've ever gotten and, uh, and signed my contract and, and sent it back. And then, uh, and then January, January 10th, 2017 got on a plane from New York city down to Orlando, Florida to join the greatest show on earth. Uh, got picked up at the airport by the general manager of the circus, drove us straight to the arena in Orlando, got out, got out of the car, went and signed a bunch of paperwork went and did costume fitting, took final measurements and made some final adjustments to the costumes that they had been working on for us, and then went and moved into the train. I lived in a five foot by seven foot room on train car number 32, uh, the Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus Train, about a mile long, and almost all the performers lived on it, and a majority of our, majority of our props and show pieces lived on the train and traveled on the train. Uh, on my train car, we had 11 rooms. It was mostly clowns with a few of the, um, with a few of the dancers mixed in between. Uh, that was the first day. Second day, got to the arena early in the morning, met the rest of the amazing Clown Alley. We immediately started uh, putting me and the other new clown into the show, rehearsing the choreography, rehearsing the production numbers, putting us into the gags, really hit the ground running. Uh, getting our makeup approved by the production team to go into the show. That was a Wednesday. Then Thursday, we got to the arena in the morning, did some press, because this was also the week that the that Ringling was introducing Kristen Michelle Wilson, the new female ringmaster. So we did some press promoting the show with her in it then. And then Thursday night was opening night of The Greatest Show on Earth in Orlando, Florida, and my first show with Ringling. And it was one of the, uh, I will never forget that first that first time standing behind, we called it the portal, the, the backstage curtain area, seeing back there and hearing Kristen say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the Feld family is proud to present Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Welcome to the greatest show on earth and hearing the pyro go off and being like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in this. I'm actually doing this. I'm a part of this. I'm part of this amazing, amazing piece of Americana. That means, 
so much to me and my family and to millions of people around the country. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really here. Uh, the rest of the show was kind of a blur. It was really, really difficult. The, the show for the clowns was the equivalent of running five miles from start to finish and was about three hours of solid performance between the all access extreme pre-show and then the show. And uh, it was just, it was just a rush and show the show finished and we took our bows and went back to the, went back to clown alley. And uh, it was a, it was a really, really great, it was a great night. Now in terms of life on the train, I think a lot of people are curious about that. You know, what were the, the highs and the lows of living on the train? So the, the highs are that um, when the train is moving, you are going through beautiful scenic landscapes. Um, Ringling, we would travel on industrial rail. So these are not things that you would see if you were traveling on Amtrak or something like that. So getting to just go through the mountains and go through the forest, just absolutely stunning. Um, some of the most beautiful sunrises I've ever seen in my entire life were on the circus train, uh, on those train runs. Train runs were really, really amazing. And it was a really, a really special thing because you really had nothing else to do other than observe nature. I mean, you're traveling through the middle of nowhere. I like to joke that the, that the train <laughs> traveled along the path where, uh, where there was zero Wi-Fi. <laughs> that was the deliberate path the train traveled. You know, so you could, it's not like you could, you know, you couldn't watch something on Netflix. You couldn't be surfing the internet. You couldn't be talking on the phone. There was nothing to do except watch the world go by. And that was a really, it was a really beautiful thing, thing to do. And it was a really great opportunity to just, to just talk to people with nothing else there. Um, and that was really, really wonderful. In terms of the negative parts of the train, I will say there are some difficulties with uh, with the size of of where we lived, five foot five feet by seven feet is very tiny. So you know, when I would go to the grocery store, like I was not buying, you know, multiple boxes of cereal. <laughs> I, I never had more than you know one roll of paper towels at a time. No Costco runs. Correct. Correct. You you really had to be very very um, very conscious of space and very conscious of storage. And uh, the, the other thing is, you know, the difficulties of, okay, I feel a little under the weather, you know, I need to go to a doctor. Well, when I, you know, when you're in one spot, you have your doctor, you have your, you know, you have your pharmacy, you have all the local things you would have living in a community, you know, well, you know where your supermarket is, your dry cleaners, your pharmacy, whatever you, whatever you need. When you're traveling and you're only in a location for a few days and your, your hours to go to pl those places are very limited. Um, it can sometimes get a little tricky and involves a little bit of pre-planning beforehand where you're going to get some of those things. So, Hey, Matthew, I, I want to ask you about a difficult day. Um, yeah. One of the not, I think so, I know what day you're talking about. Yeah. One of the not so great days. So um, that announcement was from what I understand, kind of abrupt. Um, so can you, can you tell us about the big announcement that Ringling was going to close and, and can you kind of give us a walk from, you know, what it was like to find out to what the, what the, what the journey was to the last day? 
Yeah, so that happened four days after I joined the show. Uh, it was at the end. We were told that it, we had to go to a big company-wide meeting on a Saturday night. Now, I had been with the circus for literally hours, but it seemed kind of bizarre to me that we were going to have just done three shows on a Saturday, and then we were all going to have to go to a meeting. Like, something was up. Uh, and everyone kind of had a feeling that something was going to happen, um, just because the last time that there was this type of event, this type of release, press release, um, was when they announced the elephants were going to be leaving the show. So we all knew something was was going to be dropped. We just didn't know what. Everyone had their ideas and there were, you know, rumors and speculations. But we were really not prepared for what we were about to be told. So we did those three shows on that Saturday. And then we all got, you know, we all got out of costume and makeup and everyone trickled trickled into one of the big, you know, the big executive suites of, of an arena. And we're all sitting there. And then Juliet Feld walked it of the Feld family. And we were like, oh. And uh, she kind of just basically very simply, she was obviously, it was obviously very, very difficult for her to say, but uh, that the circus was going to be closing and ceasing operations later that year. And that our last show would be um, in Providence, Rhode Island. And that the Blue Unit's last show would be in, uh, in Long Island, New York. And that they were going to work with everyone to, you know, to get people back to their countries and to, to help everyone with the transition. And, uh, and that was it. And uh, we kind of just all sat there in silence. Uh, and no one, really, no one really knew what to say. I think I think a lot of us understood the idea in theory that that Ringling wasn't going to be around forever, but I don't think that any of us thought that it would happen in our lifetime, or that we would be so close to it when it was happening. So there was just this this huge shock. Something that was older than Major League Baseball and something that was older than Coca Cola was just you know in a few short months, four and a half months from now, was just going to be gone. There was really no talking that night apart from a few four-letter words which people said to each other. And uh, everyone went back to the train, and uh, it was just a weird feeling. I had been, you know, even just being there those first few days, I knew that the train environment, you know, people would hang out in the hallways and talk to each other. And it, it was usually just a fun, you know, a fun place to hang around. And if you wanted to talk to someone, there was someone to talk to. That night, everyone just kind of went back to their rooms and shut their doors, went to sleep. Sunday morning, and uh, the ride to the arena was quiet, and everyone was kind of on edge and unsure, and still hadn't fully processed what had just happened. Um, we put on our makeup very quietly, and no one was really overly enthusiastic that morning about doing the show. And uh, people were were just, you know, not in the best spot. I was out on the concourse for the first few minutes of pre-show, waiting for people to come in and kind of greet people. And uh, multiple people came up to me within a matter of minutes and said that they heard the news last night and they immediately rushed out to buy tickets. 
And then when I got down to the arena floor a few minutes later, I saw that this was happening to all the clowns. People were coming up to, and all the performers and people were coming up and telling them. And it became very apparent to all of us very, very quickly that there was really no time for us to harp on this and no time for sadness and tears because, you know, regardless of what we were going through, people were still coming to see the greatest show on earth and they were coming to see the greatest show on earth one last time. And we needed to make sure that when they left, they were like, that really was the greatest show on earth. So there really was a whole mentality switch just after that one pre-show. And everyone was like, we are, we are the greatest show on earth. We're going to do this. We're going to put a show, we're going to, we're going to put on a show that everyone's going to remember. And from then on, we, we just, we didn't really talk about it. It was kind of just like, we're doing the show. We're doing the show. Um, you know, we're giving people the, what they came for. We're making those memories. We want this to be a positive memory for everyone. We want everyone to be thrilled. We want everyone to have a blast. And uh, we were just really grateful that people decided to come out, you know, and support us one last time. Uh, we sold out so many shows. Most, almost all of them were sold out from that point on. Uh, the applause got louder for everything. Cheering got louder. Pe more people were coming up to us during pre-show and telling us stories of when they visited um, multi-generation families. You know, we'd have grandparents who came and said that they saw the show back in the 50s and then they brought their kids and now they're bringing their grandkids. Just people were pouring out from everywhere to see the show. And we were just like, you know, this is kind of lousy for a lot of reasons but this is also a really really special time to be to be here and we're gonna we're gonna make the most of it and we did so fast forward to your final show tell us what that was like so the final show was on may 7th 2017 in providence rhode island um it was a six-pack weekend so you know between the amount of shows, the emotions, we were all like ready to, we were all a little tired and everyone was, was ready. Um, it was the loudest I've ever heard people scream at the beginning of the show, uh, before the national anthem, the clowns would do something called blow off where we would come out and get the crowd excited and everything. And on circus extreme, it was, uh, some clowns would be jumping on a, on a mini trampoline and doing flips. Other clowns would be throwing flags up in the air. And we held up these scream signs. When we held up those scream signs, it was the loudest, to this day, the loudest noise I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, the outpouring response we got from the crowd was just phenomenal. And it was really, um, that, that show was really a celebration for everyone of what the circus is about and what the circus meant to people. Uh, and really just, just kind of, kind of a big, a big party. It was a big family, big family thing. I, I went up to, cause I was also on the concourse for the last show for the first few minutes. And I remember I went up a little bit before I was supposed to, um, to kind of see the audience waiting to be let in one last time. And, uh, and just said, you know, thanks. To, like, you guys ready to see the greatest show on earth one last time? And uh, this was like, all right, we're doing this. This, this is going to be the last one. We're all here. 
we're all part of history. This is really, really special. And then during the show, we all held it together really, really well up until um, the Tiger Act. Taba, Taba Yara did an amazing tribute where he, he personally thanked each and every one of his tigers and gave each tiger a huge hug and a kiss and thanked the Feld family personally. Um, that, that's when we all lost it. But uh, it, it was a really, it was a really um, special, special day. And uh, I don't think of it entirely. I mean, it was sad, but my memories from that day are more happy than sad. Um, and it's more a memory of that was really, really cool that we all got to be a part of that thing um, and that we got to do that. Well, you got to be a part of an amazing tradition. And uh, even though you were only there for a, for a short period of time, nobody can take away the amount of time that you spent there. And that's the beautiful part of it. Um, but if you've got some time, I know we've been with you for a while. We have some questions from our listeners. Sure. Jasmine Jarman wants to know, what do you think the future of clowning looks like? Good question. I think we're going to see a lot more comedic character and less like American circus clown. I think you're going to see a lot more theatrical type clowning where again, where you're moving slightly away from the red nose and bulb shoes and more to just, this is a funny, this is a funny character. Um, clowns are currently, you know, very popular, just not in the context of a circus clown. You know, if you look at a show at a TV show, like the office, you know, Dwight, the Dwight character, that's a clown character. You know, a lot of these very popular things have big clown elements in them they're just not wearing a red nose and i think that's what we're going to see overall um in in all media where you have a more clown type character you know that's the comedic relief um and not necessarily something someone with a with a red nose or, or something something like that uh that that's where i think we're, we're headed for in the future now we have one more question from Jeff Hopkins. And he wanted to ask about something that we talked about in your intro was that uh, you have a juggling record. So he wanted to know more about that. Yeah. So I held the world record for juggling clubs while bouncing on a pogo stick. Uh, when I was little, I got a pogo stick for my birthday. Probably, probably like nine years old, I got a pogo stick. And very quickly realized that I could pogo stick without hands by just holding the main part in between my knees. And I started doing things like jumping rope um, and, you know, putting my leg over the, the handlebar, everything based on the idea of not using my hands. And then for me, the natural jump was, well, I know how to juggle. So maybe I can try juggling on a pogo stick. And uh, a little bit of practice because you know, you're throwing something up in the air and then you are sometimes coming closer to the object, sometimes moving away from the object. So the timing is a little off. Uh, figure out how to juggle clubs effectively on pogo stick and then practice doing it for a really, really long time <laughs> and, uh, and set the world record for doing it. And then when I was on Ringling, I would do that trick 
on a lot of the early morning morning talk shows and a lot of the early morning uh, appearances we did. And during pre-show, I would be on my pogo stick for a good chunk of the time. It's great exercise. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's different. It's different. That is that is very true. Um, so, okay. So, Matthew, we've had you tied up for a while, but we are down to our final two questions. Cool. Okay. Are you prepared? Uh, maybe. We'll see. Okay. First, what do you think makes the difference between a good performer and a great one? And as a follow-up question, what advice do you have for folks who want to become a clown or even a juggler? So what's the difference between a good performer and a great one? And then what would you give, what advice would you give folks who want to become a clown or, or a juggler? I think the difference between a good performer and a great performer is the ability to know your audience. If you are performing material, and, and I this is not clown specific. This is every type of performer. If you're doing, you know, clowning to a musician, to spoken word poetry, to everything in between. If you are not catering what you're doing to your audience, you're not going to get a reaction out of them. Or you're not going to get the desired reaction. Uh, and that is, that to me, that that's the big that's the big difference. If you go to do a children's birthday party and you're doing David Blaine-esque stuff, there's a problem. Um, you know, I think that the, the ability to understand your audience, to read the room, to know what types of things play well with the demographics of, of, who, of who is watching you, that makes the big, the big difference um, between a good and a great performer. Also being prepared being prepared. So coming to every gig you, you go to with, um, with all of your props properly, you know, stored, nothing in, you know, nothing, nothing in like a supermarket shopping bag and, you know, not, Oh, I just, I got to forget the lag. I forgot this one thing. Let me grab this being, being super organized, making sure that you have every possible connection and adapter for your sound equipment or for your lighting equipment, really just coming in ready to, to do your show. You should be able to do your show in an empty parking lot with no power, with no nothing, just ready to rock and roll. You are going to the venue and the venue is just giving you a space to use. That's, that's a sign for me of professionalism. And then advice for someone who wants to become a juggler. Juggling compared to clowning is, uh, is easy because you know when you're good at it. Uh, you know, there's no question of whether or not you got, you know, three balls down. You either can do it or you can't. Clowning, you're either funny or you're not, but that's harder to figure out by yourself. So for juggling, the big thing is just practice. I know it's annoying, but just, just practice actually works. Um, juggling three balls is not as difficult as it seems. You can get it in a weekend, especially now, nothing else to do. Practice your juggling. Um, YouTube has made learning juggling so easy and has made the amount of tricks that you can learn and learn for juggling through it just through the roof what's out there. So really take advantage of all those resources. A lot of um, a lot of universities around the country also have juggling clubs or other clubs which will have some sort of juggling aspect to them and they're usually open to non-college members. So those are always great things to look out for. But, uh, but juggling is just, is just practice. Nothing, 
nothing more than that. And you can learn to juggle with the best equipment in the world. You can learn to juggle with balls of socks. You'll still learn to juggle. Scarves are not juggling. Don't do scarves. But everything else. <laughs> everything else. Sorry. Once again, in the South, we say that'll preach. But, uh, you know, in wrapping things up, Matthew, uh, I want to give a huge thank you for taking your time out today to talk to us. And for our listeners, we're, we're recording this on, on May 1st. And uh, 1st of May, in terms of clowning and circus clowning, really specifically, is a, is a very important day uh, because that's what you call a, a newbie to the circus. So yep. we, have the, we have the great pleasure of talking with Matthew Lish, who is one of the last 1st of May's for Ringling Brothers and Barnard Bailey Circus. And thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your theories, your theology, your heart, and your, your talent with us. And, and I'm really just uh, humbled and, and privileged that we have you here. And I'm glad uh, that you, you gave us some time today. So thank you uh, for going behind the red nose with us. Best of luck with everything that you're working on, from props to puppets to even more clowning. And uh, can't wait to see you in the big top again. Thank you so much for having me. Great chatting with you guys. 